The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. We've got a good one lined up for you tonight. Again, we continue with our post-Halloween week theme of talking about ghosts. We'll be doing that with Randy Liebeck tonight. Randy is a parapsychological field investigator, and we'll be talking about ghosts and poltergeist phenomena, among other things. He's been he's uh, done a lot of consulting to the TV and movie industry related to the paranormal. Plus, he has um, lectured and taught courses, uh, has quite a list of accomplishments and experiences. So we'll have a great time talking to him about that. You know, in our opening of the show, one of the lines is, I want the truth or whatever it is. You can't handle the truth. I feel like we're living that right now. I, there's a couple things I just have to say. As we watch all this stuff unfold with the election, the first is a bit anecdotal, but it's kind of funny, but it's it proves a point as well. You know, many of us have been saying that uh, the covid pandemic will end. And I use the word end in air quotes because it didn't end, but would stop being such a dominant media focus once the election was over and. You know, it's one thing to say that, yeah, well, a lot of the news media right now has to cover what's happening post-election. I get that, obviously. But one of the things that I find very, very funny, and it's it's a bit uh, sad, actually, but it is funny, is that on my phone, and I don't know how it works for Android, but I have an iPhone. And all of those of you who have an iPhone know that on that, whatever that screen is, that if you swipe to the right, you pull up. It's kind of an information screen, and one of the things it'll show you there is news, right? You get news headlines on that screen. I'm assuming that's, you know, everybody's phone is pretty much set that way. I've actually tried to get rid of that, and I, I wasn't able to get rid of it completely. For the three months, maybe four months leading up to Election Day, every single headline that showed up there, every single one, was either some ca- catastrophic news about covid or some political accusations against Donald Trump, or some political accusations against conservatives or Republicans. But it was primarily these monstrous stories, at least headlines, I never read the stories, about COVID and the pandemic. Since Election Day, these stories have all turned. Now, from what I understand, COVID is no less severe today than it was three days ago prior to the election. But the same news sources that show up on these headlines for me haven't said a word about COVID. And then it's not like they're talking about the election either. The one I have right now, let me let me just look at this quickly. It says, um, hang on, it takes a second to get there. Uh, why you should update your phone. Fo- oh, no, before and after, $575 took this bedroom from messy orange to sweet and serene. Earlier it was the top 10 things that teenagers say to each other uh, uh, that are classic one-liners. And then before that it was how to transform your living room in five easy steps. You know, it's it's all nonsensical stuff. Clearly, COVID is no longer an issue. And that's what I'm talking about. Everybody should be quite angry about the way we're being duped here by most of the media it's it's so completely irresponsible and i don't care what side of the political aisle you're on you should want the truth and not just the truth but you should want to hear your side of the argument plus the other side of the argument 
you should want to hear both because you might learn something that way. And the mainstream media in this country has become a political arm of the left. And there's no two ways about it. And it's disgusting. Now, let me also just say one other thing. And again, I'll get off my political soapbox after this. But um, I don't care if there's if there was election fraud or not. It doesn't matter if there was fraud or not. Uh, both sides, the Republicans and the Democrats, have every right to observe the process. That's actually part of the law. I was uh, an elected official, and I was uh, um, a member of one of the political uh, parties uh, in, in the in the organizing committee, and I was a poll watcher locally. I know what the rights of poll watchers are. They have the right to watch and inspect, and they're being shut out. Why are they being shut out? Why is this process? Prior to the election, many people, including the president, said this mail-in vote idea is not a good idea because we're not prepared for it. And now we're seeing why. Now we're starting to see why. So all my, my only message to you folks is just stay engaged. Pay attention to this stuff because whether you want Biden or you want Trump, it doesn't matter. The process needs to maintain its integrity. Once it loses its integrity, the whole thing falls apart. So be concerned about this. This is something that's very, very important. So having said all that, I'm excited that we're going to be able to talk about ghosts again tonight because, as you know, that's kind of the genesis of this program to begin with. Uh, we call it our home base, if you will, when we talk about that type of paranormal activity. And I know that you folks really enjoy it, too. Everybody comments about that. So um, what we're going to do here is we're going to go to break. When we come back, we will have our guest. Again, we'll be talking with Randy Liebeck tonight. He is a parapsychological field investigator. We'll be talking about ghosts and poltergeist phenomena all night tonight on Beyond Reality. So don't go away because we have a great show ahead. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. We've got a good one lined up for you tonight. Again, we continue with our post-Halloween week theme of talking about ghosts. We'll be doing that with Randy Liebeck tonight. Randy is a parapsychological field investigator, and we'll be talking about ghosts and poltergeist phenomena, among other things. He's been he's uh, done a lot of consulting to the TV and movie industry related to the paranormal. Plus, he has um, lectured and taught courses, uh, has quite a list of accomplishments and experiences. So we'll have a great time talking to him about that. You know, in our opening of the show, one of the lines is, I want the truth or whatever it is. You can't handle the truth. I feel like we're living that right now. I, there's a couple things I just have to say. As we watch all this stuff unfold with the election, the first is a bit anecdotal, but it's kind of funny, but it's it proves a point as well. You know, many of us have been saying that uh, the covid pandemic will end. And I use the word end in air quotes because it didn't end, but would stop being such a dominant media focus once the election was over. And 
You know, it's one thing to say that, yeah, well, a lot of the news media right now has to cover what's happening post-election. I get that, obviously. But one of the things that I find very, very funny, and it's it's a bit uh, sad, actually, but it is funny, is that on my phone, and I don't know how it works for Android, but I have an iPhone. And all of those of you who have an iPhone know that on that, whatever that screen is, that if you swipe to the right, you pull up, it's kind of an information screen. And one of the things it'll show you there is news, right? You get news headlines on that screen. I'm assuming that's, you know, everybody's phone is pretty much set that way. I've actually tried to get rid of that, and I, I wasn't able to get rid of it completely. For the three months, maybe four months leading up to Election Day, every single headline that showed up there, every single one, was either some catastrophic news about COVID or some political accusations against Donald Trump or some political accusations against conservatives or Republicans. But it was primarily these monstrous stories, at least headlines, I never read the stories, about COVID and the pandemic. Since Election Day... These stories have all turned. Now, from what I understand, COVID is no less severe today than it was three days ago prior to the election. But the same news sources that show up on these headlines for me haven't said a word about COVID. And then it's not like they're talking about the election either. The one I have right now, let me let me just look at this quickly. It says, um, hang on, it takes a second to get there. Uh, why you should update your phone. Oh, no, before and after, $575 took this bedroom from messy orange to sweet and serene. Earlier it was the top 10 things that teenagers say to each other uh, f- uh, that are classic one-liners. And then before that it was how to transform your living room in five easy steps. You know, it's, it's all nonsensical stuff. Clearly, COVID is no longer an issue. And that's what I'm talking about. Everybody should be quite angry about the way we're being duped here by most of the media it's it's so completely irresponsible and i don't care what side of the political aisle you're on you should want the truth and not just the truth but you should want to hear your side of the argument plus the other side of the argument you should want to hear both because you might learn something that way and the mainstream media in this country has become a political arm of the left And there's no two ways about it. And it's disgusting. Now, let me also just say one other thing. And again, I'll get off my political soapbox after this. But um, I don't care if if there was election fraud or not. It doesn't matter if there was fraud or not. Uh, Both sides, the Republicans and the Democrats, have every right to observe the process. That's actually part of the law. I was uh, an elected official and I was uh, um, a member of one of the political uh, parties uh, in, in the in the organizing committee and i was a poll watcher locally i know what the rights of poll watchers are they have the right to watch and inspect and they're being shut out why are they being shut out why is this process prior to the election many people including the president said this mail-in vote idea is not a good idea because we're not prepared for it and now we're seeing why now we're starting to see why so all my my only message to you folks is just stay engaged Pay attention to this stuff, because whether you want Biden or you want Trump, it doesn't matter. The process needs to maintain its integrity. Once it loses its integrity, the whole thing falls apart. So be concerned about this. This is something that's very, very important. So having said all that, 
I'm excited that we're going to be able to talk about ghosts again tonight, because as you know, that's kind of the genesis of this program to begin with. Uh, We call it our home base, if you will, when we talk about that type of paranormal activity. And I know that you folks really enjoy it, too. Everybody comments about that. So um, what we're going to do here is we're going to go to break. When we come back, we will have our guest. Again, we'll be talking with Randy Liebeck tonight. He is a parapsychological field investigator. We'll be talking about ghosts and poltergeist phenomena all night tonight on Beyond Reality. So don't go away because we have a great show ahead. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. Welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality. I'm your host, JV. Thanks for being with us. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and our Twitch channel. Uh, and actually visit us, visit us on Facebook. YouTube and Twitch are both easily to find. Um, if you just type in JV Johnson, you'll pop right in there. And by the way, the YouTube channel has like 600 back episodes of the program. Terrific interviews. We have some really fantastic guests over the course of the years. And those are all archived there for you to enjoy and i'm sure tonight's will be just as fantastic tonight we're going to be talking with randy liebeck randy is a parapsychological field investigator we'll talk about ghosts poltergeist activity and much much more randy welcome to the program it's an honor to have you with us tonight my pleasure jb so this is the first time you've been on our program so let's talk a little bit about how you got started with all of this many people who get into uh, paranormal investigating and kind of seeking answers to these questions that fall within the paranormal realm have an interesting story do you have an interesting one or is this pure curiosity out of your part uh pure curiosity um growing up uh as a youngster uh, back in the late 60s I used to visit my grandmother in Western North Carolina, and Mm -hmm. uh, she had uh, a subscription to Fate magazine. So Mm -hmm. she had uh, issues of Fate around the house uh, back when I was just, you know, starting to learn how to read. So uh, I was broken into the world of reading uh, with tales of the unknown in Fate magazine, and the interest just stuck with me. I remember being eight or nine years old, uh, going to the public library, uh, looking to find some books on the spooky stories I would see in fate. Uh, and uh, I came across uh, the parapsychology section. So uh, eight or nine years old, I was reading books by uh, J.B. Uh, Ryan, Louisa Ryan, uh, J.G. Pratt. Uh, so I was exposed to the uh, uh, to parapsychology, the, uh, the scientific approach to the phenomena, as opposed to just the spooky stories approach. Uh, but I've always had a love affair with the spooky stories uh, uh, to this day. So uh, I, I, don't try, I don't try to make it too clinical. Yeah, no, you, you can't because, the, first of all, you know, it's, I don't know how to even say this without it sounding degrading because I don't mean it to be because I'm in the same boat as you are here, but it's hard to define the science of this in many ways. Um, you know, there's so many unanswered questions. It's hard to pinpoint things that uh, that it, 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 it it's, it's almost a work of art. I mean, this this uh, activity that we call paranormal investigating or in your case, being a parapsychological field investigator, it, it takes a lot of gut instinct and it takes a lot of uh, creative thought and creative ideas to get to a place where you can get any kind of answer. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the we can apply the scientific method mm-hmm. uh, to researching the unknown, uh, but there are aspects of this which don't seem to fit neatly into uh, the scientific paradigm. Exactly. Uh, so we do have to use a holistic view of it and you know, go outside the box a little bit. 
but uh, the, the basic initial approach should be applying scientific methodology, you know, trying to make observations, make a hypothesis based on that observation, see if it can be tested. Uh, to some degree, that works out. To other, uh, to, to some degree, though, it, it doesn't neatly fit in. So we have to be you know, very open-minded, very holistic. Uh, and uh, as things stand right now, uh, we do not have any uh, overarching uh, unified theory of the paranormal. Right. So we, can apply, we can apply bits of psychology, bits of physics, but there is an unknown element left that we're still, you know, there's a big question mark. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I will also say that my genesis into this business or this field, I guess, uh, is very similar to yours. I didn't have any experiences as, as a kid. And I actually started to develop my curiosity by watching the television show In Search Of. And that was a little less about ghosts, but it, it, it started to talk about weird things around the world. And I wanted some answers. I wanted to know what was going on in Loch Ness. I wanted to know what uh, the ancient pyramids were about. I wanted to know what was happening on Oak Island. You know, all these stories that uh, Leonard Nimoy so uh, appropriately narrated for uh, those who watch that television show, they're mm-hmm. fascinating, and they can't help but put a curiosity into somebody, especially you know, young young uh, young boy, right? Ab- absolutely, I-, I loved that show. I watched it, uh, I think, from seventy six to seventy nine, uh, when it was uh, three seasons, mm-hmm. uh, and going back before that, the uh, uh, next step beyond, one step beyond. Uh, and then the you know the, the fictional paranormal stuff, the Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, all of which right. you touched on, you know the, the the unusual and the unexplained. So, uh, you know my my initial uh, uh, interest in it was uh, you know multimedia books, TV. Uh, uh, I remember when I was uh, real little, uh, my uh, parents brought me to a drive-in theater where I watched the uh, Legend of Hell House mm-hmm. with uh, starring Rodney McDowell. Mm-hmm. And to this day, that's one of my favorite ghost movies. It's a great one. And I'm glad you mentioned The Twilight Zone, too. One of my... Uh, often, uh, throughout the course of the year, I'll find myself, because Twilight Zone, it's com- the complete series is on Netflix, I'll be watching that late at night as kind of my, you know, decompress at the end of the day after the show uh entertainment and i listen to those stories with such fascination first of all because they were written and they were filmed back uh, prior to the days of tv shows like ghost hunters or bigfoot hunters or whatever you know whatever these paranormal reality shows are it was all prior to that um and they were it was edgy for the time and yet those ideas and those theories often can be applied to the things that we talk about on this program, and I'm sure things that you study and read about and write about and talk about all the time. One of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes, uh, uh, the uh, the episode dealt with a, a little kid whose uh, grandmother had I know, passed away, yeah, I know but he was still getting phone calls oh my on God. his toy phone. Uh, that just, uh, uh, you know, talk about, you know, phone calls from the dead, Scott Rogo, Raymond Bayless. Uh, that was a you know a perfect you know tie in to that entire field of study. That is one of the best episodes of television of all time. the The name of the episode I think is the long distance call or long distance phone call or something like that. But man, that is a chilling episode, and you're absolutely right. Talk about communication with the other side. That's what that episode was all about. Yep, that was a great one. So you 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 developed the curiosity as, at an early age. Um, and, and you continue to read and learn about it. Uh, did you start investigating as a, as a as a maybe a teenager, or when did that start for you? 
Uh, I was an adult uh, before uh, when I graduated from armchair researcher to field investigator. Uh, <laughs> was a uh, uh, police officer, uh, and uh, my involvement in that, you know, uh, I had um, uh, I was introduced to a lot of people in the field at their houses, uh, talking with other you know cops, uh, folks from different agencies. Uh, and uh, uh, they knew of my interest in the paranormal, uh, so uh, they would, people would come to me and say, "Hey, you know, the, I have, I think my house is haunted, or you know, these strange things are going on. You know, uh, would you want to look into it for me?" So that was my introduction. It was, uh, uh, and uh, you know, being being a cop uh, gave me a little bit more access to places and people than you know, than if I was just you know coming off the street. Uh, uh, a little bit of trust uh, people had for me, uh, and talking with cops from all different agencies in New Jersey, uh, so many uh, cops uh, from so many different towns and counties had uh, experiences, had you know, the, knew of the haunted house, you know, on their patrol beat. <laughs> uh, so as I talked to people, say, "Hey, Randy, you want to come with me on the midnight tour one night and check this out, or or talk to this person whose house I was called to, who claims they have a poltergeist." And I don't know anything about that, but I know you do. You want to come along. So that was my introduction uh, uh, and my off hours you know, to actual field investigations. And then it just expanded from there uh, where I, uh, the, the two areas, the, uh, you know, the uh, being a cop and being a uh, uh, cop by day, ghostbuster by night, uh, two totally separate you know, arenas, uh, no, no official duty involvement with the paranormal. Yeah. Uh, but it was my uh, uh, entry and access to a lot of this. Uh, let me ask you, as a law enforcement officer and someone who had a, a deep fascination with the paranormal, did those two hats, if you will, uh, conflict at all, or were you able to make them work in concert? Uh, no, no conflict. Uh, uh, early on, uh, uh, my supervisors, the police chief, uh, were aware of my interest uh I've done you know several uh, guest spots on television programs. So uh, a lot of the bosses had seen the TV shows. Uh, they just thought it was interesting. Uh, if I needed to take you know some time off to go work on a case or take a week off to go investigate a haunted manor in England, you know, uh, great cooperation from the bosses. Uh, but uh, other than that, there are two totally separate aspects of my life, except for the fact that being uh, being a cop, I was a, a detective and a supervisory a police officer uh, at the local level and with a federal agency. Uh, so I had uh, training uh, on you know interview and interrogation techniques, uh, uh, deception and fraud detection. Uh, I had access to equipment uh, from the departments I worked with. I could borrow a thermal imaging camera, things like that. So uh, there, there was you know uh, some beneficial uh, logistical crossover between the two interest areas of my life. Uh, I, I, I have always suspected though, if my, if my passion was like in the field of UFOs, uh, that might've been more problematic for me. <laughs> uh, ghosts seem to be more socially acceptable, mm. uh, than, you know, saying, Hey, I'm, you know, investigating UFO sightings and Roswell crashes and stuff like that. 
Yeah. Well, what about your colleagues as a law enforcement officer? You you know, you kind of hinted on the fact that, you know, everyone's beat had, you know, that proverbial haunted house, you know, the, the, the house maybe nobody lived in that had, you know, the uh, old curtains hanging in the window, whatever it was. Did you hear yeah. a lot of stories from fellow officers, maybe kind of on the side uh, because they didn't want it to get around that they had these stories? But did you hear many? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, many is uh, not the right word for it. Uh, wow. uh, huge numbers of stories from other cops. Uh, and as, as word got around that I was the go-to person uh, within the local law enforcement uh, uh, community uh, for this kind of stuff, you know, I would get cold calls from you know, a guy would say, hey, I'm a sergeant at uh, you know, Princeton Police Department. I had this weird thing that happened on a call. Uh, another guy gave me your, your name and phone number. Uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, word got around pretty quickly uh, that uh, uh, who are you going to call? Call Randy. <laughs> Uh, are you still a law for, a law enforcement officer? Uh, I'm no longer actively chasing people and kicking down doors. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been a uh, in the federal government uh, in a law enforcement capacity since uh, uh, 1987. Before that, I was a, a county officer. Uh, I worked my way up from uh, patrolman, uh, detective, uh, sergeant. Uh, currently, I'm a uh, uh, I'm a bureaucratic paper pusher for one of the uh, three letter uh, federal agencies. Oh wow! I uh, man, it, uh, I tell other people what doors to kick down. I don't go out and do it myself anymore. Wow. But I am still in I am still in the uh, general career field. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations on on your hard work paying off for you. That that's a great story. I love hearing that. Um, when you uh, started to uh, investigate and um you started to look into cases what types of cases did you did you go out and investigate or or research in you know on location or in person um 50 50 uh between uh what we uh try to categorize as as hauntings uh and and poltergeists i mean about half of the uh uh, the things I would look into, people would say, "Hey, they were they were seeing things, you know, uh, um, movement out of the corner of their eye, or actually seeing a a, a visual humanoid apparition, uh, feeling something, hearing sounds. Uh, uh, in fact, hearing sounds is probably the most common. Uh, and uh, we, tr- it's it's hard to create uh, this very distinct lines between the different uh, types of." Uh, uh, ghostly phenomena, yeah. but in general, uh, subjective sensory uh, events, sight, sound, smell, tactile sensations, we try to put into the haunting or ghost category. Uh, and then the other half were uh, poltergeist cases, people, you know, saying objects were moving, uh, uh, their, uh, you know, uh, TVs would uh, come on, start changing channels by themselves, uh, uh, people being touched, pushed. Uh, uh, dresser drawers and cabinets opening and closing. Well, we we put those into the. Uh, we use the word uh, poltergeist to mm-hmm. apply a label to it. Uh, I found over the decades, though, that the line of delineation between those two is not as solid as some parapsychologists like to make it out to be. Uh, it's hard to say where a haunting stops and a poltergeist begins, but. Uh, Equal uh, division between those two types of phenomena. And we're, we're going to get into both of those concepts in a little more detail uh, further along in our discussion. Um, one of the questions I have about you you and your introduction to all of this, was your family at all 
interested in the paranormal. A lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll talk to somebody who's deeply involved in this, and they'll say, oh, yeah, my mom was a psychic or whatever. But did your family have any involvement? Uh, not that I knew about at the time. Uh, as I mentioned, my grandmother uh, subscribed to Fate magazine, so she obviously had an interest. Right. Uh, uh, my mother at home had an encyclopedia set of uh, man, myth, and magic. Uh, which uh, is the paranormal encyclopedia. So that was, again, part of my introduction uh, to the wide variety of Fortean or paranormal phenomena. So I knew my mother had some degree of interest. It wasn't until uh, in my adulthood uh, I uh, had talked to my mother more in depth and found out that she, uh, at the house uh, we lived in, uh, she had seen ghosts, uh, had some experiences, uh, had, had poltergeist activity happen to her, uh, and I found out that uh, I believe her grandmother, I think on uh, her maternal grandmother, uh, who lived out in the, uh, the sticks uh, of uh, Tennessee or Western North Carolina, uh, was known as being a, uh, uh, I don't want to use the wrong term, uh, but as somebody with psychic abilities, you know, a friendly mm-hmm. witch type person. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated by that. I'd grown up, you know, having no clue. That I was, I came from a paranormal family. And you said that your mother experienced some activity in the house that you you lived in. Were you there, living there at the time? Uh, no, uh, my mother was in uh, North Carolina. I was living in New Jersey. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, yep, but uh, she had uh, had some uh, events happen in the house uh, uh, after she passed away. My uh, uh, my kid brother uh, was still living in the house, and he experienced a plethora. A phenomena. Oh, wow. uh, when I live, when I live there, uh, I never experienced anything. Uh, uh, I, I've said many times when it comes to this kind of stuff, I'm as sensitive as a brick. I can be in a in a room <laughs> with five people. Uh, those five people will say, "My God, look in that corner. Do you see that you know late that you know glowing lady in the corner?" And they'll all <laughs> see it. I won't see anything but the wall. Yeah. So, so you rely you rely on the equipment, which we'll get into um, a little later too. Uh, let's talk about some basic ideas and basic concepts here before we get into these details. I always ask uh, anyone who has an involvement in this particular field their opinion of what what are we talking about when we talk about a ghost? What is a ghost? Well, assuming they actually exist. Uh, there, there are a couple of common definitions, and when I say assuming they exist, I, I am absolutely convinced that people have experiences. There, 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 there is a phenomena out there. People see, hear, feel things. Uh, there are a variety of possible explanations for that. One of those is a ghost. And definition of ghost traditionally is the surviving spirit or consciousness of, of a human being who has passed on. Uh, there are other potential possibilities, uh, but that's that's the common definition of a ghost, and it's a definition that I have no issue with. I think that could very well be what we're dealing with, uh, but well, we've not proved that yet. Yeah, that's the frustrating part. We just can't get the definitive proof. We got a lot of circumstantial proof, a lot of anecdotal proof, but having the hard evidence to, to really definitively say has been elusive. Um, 
so you you described yourself as being about as sensitive as a brick. I feel the same way as well. I have had some experiences because I've done so much paranormal investigating that, you know, I think by the law of averages, I'm going to experience something. But I do feel like I am equally uh, sensitive as a brick. Why is it that some people seem to have almost nightly paranormal experiences and others have never have one experience in their whole lifetime? Well, uh, if we do some filtering here and uh, assume uh, a, a sense of caution, uh, extreme cautiousness that some of these experiences are not objectively valid, they're, they're uh, subjective experiences that may not be real to somebody else. But leaving uh, what's left, you know, uh, objective, real experiences, uh, which are not just a uh, a uh, uh, residue of some psychological or medical issue. Uh, one possibility is uh, not every location is haunted. Right. Uh, let's assume that ghosts are dead people. A uh, ghost is dear, uh, dead Aunt Edna coming back to visit. Uh, there are not ghosts everywhere. However, people have died everywhere. Uh, but there are haunted locations and other places which are not haunted. So uh, it may be you have to be at, at the right place at the right time. That's certainly part of it. Sir, some people are ghost magnets. Some people are very sensitive. Uh, who knows? Right. Uh, uh, everybody can learn to play a musical instrument. Not everyone can be Mozart. Uh, people's brains are wired differently. People have... Uh, 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 different uh, mental and physical skill sets. Uh, some people may just be attuned to certain frequencies that you and I may not be uh, attuned to that level. Right. Uh, uh, just don't know. We we don't know what we we know. Uh, the soup exists, but we don't know all the ingredients in the soup. Uh, and and how many of each ingredient are in the mix. How important do you think it is for someone to actually be open to the experience or maybe even seeking the experience? And, and an example of that for me is, um, you know, I, I lost both of my parents within the last few years, and uh, I've often wondered what I would do if I woke up in the middle of the night, opened my eyes, and I saw one of them standing there. You know, as much as I would love to reconnect with them, that would that would startle me to no end. Uh, so I kind of have a barrier up to it. Um, is that something that affects the outcome? Is that something that, that affects whether or not, in my case, I will ever have that kind of experience? Uh, yes. Uh, but inter interestingly, there, 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 there is a, uh, there are two conflicting aspects to that. One is that it's been documented that people who are more open uh, to accepting the possibility of the, par of the paranormal, are more likely to experience it. Uh, it's called the, uh, the the sheep versus goat effect. Goats being skeptics who, who, whose attitude uh, is that stuff, this kind of stuff cannot exist. There are no ghosts. It's not possible. Uh, those uh, folks generally will not experience things. Uh, if they take an ESP test in the lab, they will score sometimes uh, uh, so badly that their negative score results <laughs> exceed uh, 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 you know, chance, sometimes substantially so. 
uh, people who are open-minded uh, uh, and who do have you know, more of a mystical, metaphysical outlook on life uh, do have more experiences. And, that, and that's not purely, you know, uh, subjective psychology. You know, you could say, okay, because they believe in this stuff, uh, they, uh, they're more inclined to misinterpret natural phenomena as something paranormal or, you know, they may, you know, uh, delude themselves, you know, may uh, cause, you know, hallucinations. But these same people, when they are tested in a parapsychology lab uh, with objective, you know, uh, uh, test protocols, they do exhibit uh, legitimately more uh, psychic abilities. So the sheep-goat effect is real. If, if you really psychologically refuse to accept the possibility of this stuff, you generally won't experience it. But the uh, the uh, the conflicting side of that is that uh, if you go out looking for it, nine times out of ten you will not encounter it. Uh, I, I don't know why this is, but uh, we found you know historically looking at the meta analysis of, of experiences going back to the 1800s and, and beyond that it's not the investigators who are out trying to find a ghost who find the ghost. Uh, it's people who are minding their own business at home, making a cup of coffee, watching TV. Uh, stuff happens to them. You know, they're caught off guard. Uh, they get you know spooked or you know, maybe not spooked. Some people are enthralled by it. Others are spooked or even terrified. Uh, but uh, I've been suspecting for a while, and other investigators have also, that uh, it has something to do with you know, uh, your mindset, uh, and your brain functioning at a particular moment. If you are, if your if your uh, brain waves, uh, uh, alpha and beta waves, are uh, at working at the frequency when you're trying to uh, experience, when you're acting like a scientist, or you say, okay, I'm measuring this equipment. I got my magnetometer running, my uh, Geiger counter is running. I have you know uh, uh, this reading on this device. Uh, that seems to inhibit things to a degree. But if you're just relaxing, enjoying yourself, your, your uh, brain waves are more in the theta uh, and delta range mm -hmm. uh, for relaxation, that's when stuff uh, happens. And it may be that's when you're more open, uh, relaxed, open uh, to, ex uh, to experience stuff. Uh, so I tell people who are experiencing stuff like that who are terrified by it, and I've had you know, lots of folks who are scared to death of it. I tell them, well, uh, here, here's some information about ghosts and poltergeists. Here's a, a book I want you to read. Keep a journal. Become my co-investigator because uh, I can't be with you 24 hours a day. Write down what happens when it happens. You know, run a tape recorder in your bedroom if you're hearing sounds at night. Uh, and I, I strongly believe that when I put them into that investigator mindset, that actually inhibits the phenomena, uh, which works to calm them down. Uh, it doesn't benefit me as an investigator because I actually want the ghost to do things uh, so we can document it. But uh, the the uh, other side of this equation is that we have to take care of fellow human beings. And if somebody is scared to death, yeah. we need to address that. Uh, I've, I've thought for a while that uh, for an investigator – Maybe the best approach is when you go into a location, don't think and act like an investigator. Right. Just sit around, relax, 
you know, talk with the, uh, uh, the principals and witnesses in the case, laugh, joke around. Uh, I think that's when you're more likely to experience something. Uh, I'm really glad to hear you say that. Uh, I'm, o- I'm often asked by people who are doing this for the first time, say, you know, what should I do? How do I, how do I investigate for the first time? And my advice, and, and often, you know, what kind of equipment should I bring? And often my answer is, you know, you really don't need anything more than your eyes and your ears. Just go sit, relax, enjoy. If you enjoy quiet, that's what you're in for for most of the night. So just, you know, just relax and let it come to you. It's when you come in with all these electronic gadgets, especially for the first time, you know, you're going to be so distracted by the lights and the numbers and the, and and this and that and batteries. And you, you're probably going to miss anything that happens in front of you. Right. Uh, I think that actually, uh, to a degree, uh, uh, inhibits things from happening, but you're, you're, you're right. If something does happen, you're going to miss it because you're too concerned about the settings on a piece of equipment. Yeah. And I'll also, uh, just talk about one other type of personality. You mentioned, you know, people that are kind of close to it and people that are more open to it that seem to have much more uh, activity occur in their presence. Then there's the, there's the type of person too, that it's just over anxious to have it happen. So everything they experience is paranormal, you know, every, you know, they're, they're walking along and they trip over, you know, over a carpet and that was paranormal. And, uh, you know, those people, um, bless their hearts. They're so anxious to have an experience that everything is an experience. Uh, that happens, uh, a lot. And uh, an investigator has to be aware of that and, uh, try as best as we can to, you know, identify uh, that personality type and identify the reported situations. Well, a, it gets complicated, though, because a person may legitimately have a paranormal experience. Something uh, does happen in the house. Uh, there's, a, there's a sound which is legitimately, quote, unquote, paranormal. Once the person uh, has experienced one or two real events in their house, now they're attuned to Every sound, every noise, every creak uh, that the uh, house beams make from temperature changes, uh, that they're now interpreting everything as paranormal. Yeah. Uh, it sounds that have always been there. Uh, you know, a truck drives down the street and the vibrations makes your dresser drawer open up. And it, maybe it's, it's happened for the past 20 years, but you've you never really noticed it. You block a lot of that kind of stuff out in your day-to-day life. But now they're looking for it, and now everything is paranormal. I don't want to throw out the baby with you know the bathwater because uh, you know maybe there was you know maybe there is some degree of legitimate activity going on, uh, but it it can get really complicated. You mentioned poltergeists as a being as being about fifty percent of the work that you've done as far as investigations and research goes. Uh, let's define poltergeists. We actually did a program about poltergeists. I think it was about a week and a half ago, so it's kind of fresh in our folks' mind. But I'd still like to hear your opinion and and how you would define what we talk about when we use the word poltergeist. Uh, the uh, classic definition of poltergeist. Uh, and that term uh, came up in the 1800s. Uh, I, I think it was uh, uh, Catherine Crow uh, who uh, introduced us to the German word poltergeist. The Germans had used it for a long you know, before that. But uh, poltergeist is uh, ghostly activity where there is actual physical manipulation of the environment. It's not just seeing, hearing smelling or feeling, all of which 
uh, are subjective and, and can be hallucinatory. Uh, poltergeist is physical. An object moves, and uh, if you had a video camera filming the, the dresser drawer, and uh, you would record it happening. This is, it's a physical interaction with the environment. Uh, people getting pushed or, uh, or scratched. Uh, 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 sounds that can be recorded. Uh, in hauntings, uh, you, can, you can hear sounds, but very often uh, three folks in the room, two will hear the sound uh, or, or, or visually see an apparition, but the other person in the room won't. So there's, there's certainly an hallucinatory aspect to that. Uh, some people are tuned into it, others aren't. Uh, but whether it's uh, both sounds, if it's actually a physical sound that can be recorded, we put that uh, generally into the poltergeist, acti- uh, poltergeist categorization. Uh, and uh, going back to uh, uh, the Duke University Parapsychology Lab in the 30s, uh, where uh, uh, J.G. Pratt uh, and... Uh, 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 Dr. Bill Roll came out of before they moved out on their own. They uh, they made a kind of a a, a tight line, uh, a distinction between hauntings and ghosts and poltergeists, uh, based on the subjective versus obje- physically objective uh, thing. And uh, there were different theories, uh, uh, which are totally separate theories that cover both of those phenomena. Uh, what we found, though, over the years is that uh, that's an artificial line of separation, and uh, the more you look into these cases, there uh, uh, cases which are considered to be hauntings or ghosts. There's a there's a poltergeist aspect to a lot of them. Uh, in poltergeist cases where physical activity happens, uh, we've been told uh, for decades that you will not see an apparition. You will, you won't see a ghost. Uh, uh, if, if there is a sound, you can record it. But we found that in many poltergeist cases with physical manipulation of the environment, people do see ghosts and apparitions. Uh, recordings are made of sounds that are being heard, and they're not recorded on, on, the, on, the, uh, on the equipment, which tells us, hey, it's, it's hallucinatory. Uh, but their physical activity is really happening and can be uh, documented. So the, the line of delineation is, is not as strong. Uh, I know uh, uh, one of my colleagues out there uh, named John Fraser, uh, who's recently written a book on poltergeists, he's of the opinion that there is no real distinction, that a poltergeist is a ghost and a ghost is a poltergeist, just different times, different places with different people, they manifest differently. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm ready to go to that degree yet, because uh, with with poltergeists, in many of the cases, there are some distinct uh, elements uh, involving the uh, uh, the agent or the focus who's physically present, and there are some neurological uh, and uh, the physiological issues that we've identified with these people, which make them prone to a poltergeist uh, event breaking out around them. Uh, and I think that is separate from a haunting or a ghost. Uh, but there are so many outlier cases, uh, well-defined, well-documented outlier cases, though, uh, where uh, that line of uh, separation between the two types of 
the uh, ghostly events uh, really get blurred. Yeah, you know, based on the way you've just defined them for us here, uh, it obviously a lot of cases that may have otherwise fallen into just a, a haunting uh, would now fall into a poltergeist category. You know, simple things like uh, having a door slam and actually seeing the door slam, so the door actually slammed, not just the, you know, disembodied sound of a door slamming. Or, um, you know, a picture falling off the wall as a result of something paranormal. Um, those types of things would fall into... Uh, Poltergeist category because there's a physical interaction. Uh, technically, yes. The okay. uh, the uh, the current uh, parapsychological uh, uh, paradigm of academic uh, uh, parapsychologists, uh, particularly in the United States, uh, the idea is that hauntings uh, are either uh, an hallucinatory response to uh, some sort of encoding in the environment. And by hallucinatory, I don't mean that uh, people are having a uh, a psychological disturbance or that you know any kind of, of mental illness. Hallucinatory just means you are experiencing something, you're seeing or hearing or uh, uh, feeling something that may very well be real, but it's bypassing your sensory organs. You may see a ghost. Uh, but you can't film it, which means it's not reflecting light. So therefore, you're not really seeing it. But it's being the impression is being sent directly to your brain, right. and then being processed by your, uh, your your visual processing area of the brain. But we still think that there's still something in the environment which is intentionally, perhaps, causing that to happen to you. It's just not it's just not reflecting light and going through the eyes. Right. The sound you hear. Uh, it may not show up on a tape recording, but you really hear it because something in the environment, uh, whether it's a uh, what we call a residual haunting, where it, uh, it seems to be uh, a recording made in the environment that certain people can play back uh, through a process we do not comprehend, uh, where there may not be an actual ghost or you know dead Aunt Edna is not actually there, but dead uh, Aunt Edna. A hundred years ago, had done certain things in that house, which recorded themselves into the house. Then you or I go in, and we act like a uh, a DVD player, and we play it back. Uh, you see sounds, you know, hear sounds, see a ghost. Uh, things happen, but if you had a recording device running, none of that would be recorded because it's all happening in your brain, right. but triggered by something in the environment, or it could be a ghost. It could be dear Aunt Edna. Saying, uh, uh, you know, uh, Randy, uh, I want to show you this image of me, so you know that I'm here. Uh, and you see uh, uh, Aunt Edna, and your uh, just like your you know normal sight, but it's not recordable, which means your eyes are not involved. Poltergeist um, activity, uh, we we say it's uh, physically objective. It's not. It's not really hallucinatory. If the object moves, it really moved. Uh, if uh, uh, a shadowy, dark figure appears in the corner, uh, everybody should be able to see it. Uh, you should be able to capture it on video. But sometimes you really can't. So it complicates this this hypothesis of them being two separate phenomena. I do think there are hallucinatory, subjective aspects to poltergeist cases. 
just like there are physically, objectively real aspects to hauntings. Uh, the the a parapsychological paradigm uh, really doesn't account for that. The paradigm says that hauntings are either environmental recordings that register in a hallucinatory uh, method on, on the witness, or if there is a ghost, uh, which most parapsychologists uh, uh, do not believe in, uh, it, but a few do, uh, uh, they'll say, okay, there's a ghost there, but that ghost is making you uh, encounter things hallucinatory. Uh, they say that poltergeist is physical, uh, but it's caused by a living agent in the environment who, through uh, their unconscious mind, is using psychokinesis to cause these things to happen. And there's no ghost. Uh, and there are uh, there are evidential points uh, that support all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, we have found that there are people uh, who meet a certain psychological and neurological profile who are prone to poltergeist activity. I was just going uh, to ask you about the connection between poltergeist activity and particularly adolescents or teenage girls specifically, but it's also been uh, talked about uh, uh, teenage boys as well, but particularly as they go through uh, puberty and go through a transition, which is a very emotional and very hormone-driven time in a person's life, there seems to be poltergeist activity that is fueled by that. Is that a real connection? Uh, it is uh, definitely real. Uh, that that connection was uh, noticed back in the 1800s. Uh, in the 1950s, a... Uh, a uh, Psychical researcher named Nandor Fodor uh, looked at that in depth, and he uh, determined that the uh, most poltergeist agents, uh, which is the person who uh, the activity uh, occurs around, uh, he determined that they were actually causing the activity, and that in most cases it was an adolescent female. And the uh, the uh, the paradigm for that ever since then has been okay. Uh, your your poltergeist agent is a 12 or 13 year old girl. Uh, as time has passed and more and more cases have been uh, explored by researchers, we found that uh, uh, the female aspect of it is not as strong as we thought. It looks like there may be just as many boys who are poltergeist agents or focuses as there are girls. Um, but the uh, the adolescence part of it uh, held up. Uh, 11, 12, 13, uh, that is a prime time uh, for somebody for these things to happen. There are other elements. It's not just age, uh, uh, though you mentioned that there are hormonal changes uh, that happen around mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the brain uh, structure alters uh, as people uh, grow up. Uh, the uh, the wiring and neurology of the brain physically uh is going through changes at that age. Uh, and in fact, it doesn't really stabilize until we're around uh, in our 20s. Uh, so there may be some combination uh, of neurology, of hormones, uh, but it's not just that, because everybody goes through puberty, but not everybody experiences poltergeist activity around them. Right. So there, there, are, uh, there, are other, uh, there are other ingredients in the soup. Uh, there, there's there's a, uh, a psychological profile, uh, and in a lot of these cases, you have the adolescence, you have uh, and, and whatever uh, physical changes are going on with that, but you also have certain psychological stressors involved. Uh, 
very often uh, uh, these uh, these kids are uh, their home life uh, they're being abused uh, they have some sort of uh, 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 sexual you know frustration um, uh, uh, stress at school maybe they're being you know beat by their uh, parents or uh, have a horrible home life uh, we we found that in in, in so many cases um, that we, we, we're at the point now where we, we have a profile pretty much for a poltergeist agent, uh, 11 to, to 16. Uh, but there are outliers. There, there are younger and there are adults and senior citizens who are poltergeist agents, but generally uh, adolescents uh, and certain uh, uh, psychological stressors uh, that we've seen so many times that we think that's a definite part of the soup. So you have, you know, the, the right person, the right uh, brain wiring, the right hormone flow through their system uh, from that being that age, the right psychological stressors occurring, and maybe uh, the right uh, physical environment and location. Uh, there may be a correlation between uh, the Earth's geomagnetic fields, uh, which uh, predispose uh, this to occur at a location once the other elements are in play, uh, possibly even exposure to artificial energy fields. Uh, we found many uh, poltergeist locations and haunting locations, which are very close or directly underneath high tension power lines, uh, uh, that may uh, play a part in this. It may be part of the uh, of the soup recipe. I'll, uh, one more question about poltergeist, and I'll move on to something else here. Um, but most people's impression of what we're talking about when we talk about poltergeist comes from Hollywood. So I guess the question is, do people have anything to fear from any of this, but particularly like poltergeist activity? Is it dangerous in any way? Uh, you know, uh, generally, no. Uh, 99% of the time, I can safely say no. Uh, then again, 99% of the time, airplanes do not fall out of the sky. But sometimes, you know, very rarely they crash. Uh, most hauntings, most poltergeist uh, events are harmless. However, there are those few outlier cases, uh, some of which seem to be uh, well-documented and credible, where people are injured. Uh, uh, people are punched, uh, shoved, cut, uh, usually not to a life-threatening degree, but people have been hurt uh, yeah. by poltergeist. Uh, there are many uh, cases where fires break out in poltergeist situations, which uh, always has the potential of, you know, your house burning down maybe while you're in it. Right. Uh, but, uh, uh, but there does seem to be some sort of self-limiting factor to this. People are punch, shoved, cut, uh, but uh, people don't get seriously injured. They don't get killed. Yes, fires break out in poltergeist cases, but traditionally they appear to happen uh, at times and specific locations in the house where it's almost guaranteed that uh, somebody will see it when it starts in time to put it out. Mm -hmm. uh, so it looks like there is some sort of... Uh, uh, self-limiting factor or, uh, 
or set of rules this phenomena ha- has to operate within. Uh, but, uh, and one of those, if, if these events with poltergeist are being generated or caused by a living human person, you know, your, your adolescent girl in the house, uh, they may want to do scary, spooky stuff uh, uh, to vent their psychological issues, but the average person does not really want to hurt somebody, does not really want to kill somebody. So a normally function human mind, even at, at the unconscious level, will have certain inherent uh, self-limiting you know, features uh, uh, to, to not really you know, kill or hurt somebody. Which has always made me wonder, you know, what would happen if Charles Manson was a poltergeist agent? You know, would those uh, uh, inherent self-limiting factors apply in a case like that? Uh, Don't know. Um, Also, with, you know, the the fact that, you know, generally in the reported cases, a fire in the house is always observed by somebody just in time. Well, we don't really know that as an absolute fact. You know, of all the houses that burn down right, right. Uh, around the world every year, how do we know, you know, that a few of them were not caused by a poltergeist, right. even, you know, you know fatal cases? Uh, so, yeah, there there is a degree uh, of risk, but it's uh, statistically, uh, when you look at a meta-analysis of all these cases, it's statistically insignificant. But I'm not going to lie and say, no, there's no chance of being hurt. We're talking tonight with Randy Liebeck. He's a parapsychological field investigator. His website is ghosthunter.iwarp.com. Uh, Randy, what can people find if they go to your website? Uh, a little bit of my background, uh, uh, some experiences, a couple of the cases I've worked. Uh, and I have a section on the website, uh, uh, two sections. One is uh, some of my uh, uh, articles I've written for magazines discussing various aspects of all this. Uh, there are some video clips uh, of cases I've worked that have been filmed for TV shows. And I have a, uh, a, a, a glossary uh, of paranormal terms uh, where I explain you know, what we think a ghost is, what we think a poltergeist is, uh, uh, what a... Uh, "Quote unquote orb is uh, so it's a lot of good uh, introductory uh, information for folks who have you know have, know a little bit about the paranormal. Have heard the term EVP, have heard the term poltergeist. I've tried to put a uh, uh, an objective uh, uh, definition uh, of a lot of these terms and what uh, with some of my personal experiences and some editorial comments thrown in." We've talked about ghosts, we've talked about poltergeists, but all this phenomena, you know, kind of falls under the same idea here of paranormal activity as it relates to maybe spirit activity, that kind of thing. Uh, Randy, in your opinion, and this is a tough one for a lot of people, both people that are, you know, investigators by nature and people who have just had experiences by nature. Uh, is there a religious connection to any of this? Uh that depends on uh, uh, an individual's, you know, personal religious beliefs. Let me let me ask, let me ask the question differently because I think I, I know I think you're answering a different question because I, I answered it asked it poorly. 
if there's something on the other side, if there are ghosts and there are poltergeists and there are these things that we are trying to get answers about and we are talking about tonight, does that by definition mean there's an afterlife? And does that by definition mean there is something um, accurate about uh, religious texts that talk about an afterlife? Uh, if uh, if we have a ghost, and if that is a surviving human consciousness, then yes. You know, uh, if it's a poltergeist that's being caused by a living human agent, uh, then that's a function of uh, of uh, the environment interacting with uh, uh, the, the human mind and consciousness. Uh, no. If it's an environmental recording, uh, uh, some past event that's uh, recorded into the structure of a house and it plays back when the right person is there, then no. Uh, but if it's a surviving human consciousness, if dear dead Aunt Edna has come back uh, to talk to you, uh, then absolutely. Uh, if we could confirm that that is real, that Aunt Edna is really here talking to you, then yes, that is uh, de facto proof that there is some sort of afterlife, some sort of survival of human consciousness after death. Uh, and then, the, yes, that does open up a, a plethora of, of theological issues. Um, depending on uh, your religious you know, uh, background uh, and knowledge, uh, I believe within the Christian faith, uh, uh, you're taught that uh, when you die, uh, you go uh, to heaven or to hell. Uh, uh, or the Catholics also throw purgatory uh, in between those two things, uh, but you go there. Uh, uh, the Christian religion in general does not provide for uh, a uh, fourth option, which is Aunt Edna coming back to hang out at her old home, uh, unless maybe you could uh, try to interpret that into the purgatory category. Uh, but I'm not sure if, uh, 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 like the Bible, specifies exactly when you go on uh, to your ultimate uh, destination. Uh, maybe there is some sort of uh, leeway where, uh, by choice or otherwise, you can linger for a while. I, I know I've talked with uh, 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 mediums or people who claim to be mediums and claim they can talk with uh, ghosts, you know, surviving human spirits. Uh, and they've said they've tried to tell people to go towards the light. Uh, and uh, the assumption in that case is the light is there. Uh, the ghost could step into it, and it will take them to wherever they're supposed to go. But they're making a conscious decision not to go there, whether it's uh, from not knowing they're supposed to go into the light, or maybe they're afraid. Uh, maybe they're, uh, they don't know where they're going to wind up when they step into the light and Maybe they're afraid of going to hell, so they choose to stay behind. Or they're so attached to uh, their uh, relatives, so attached to the locations they lived in and loved, that they decide you know, they're, they don't want to go. Uh, this is what uh, a lot of mediums say. Uh, I can't really judge that, because I don't see and hear what they claim to be seeing and hearing. So you're taking them at you know face value uh, when they tell you what the ghost is saying to them, uh, but I'm open to the possibility in that case. So maybe it's a conscious decision. Uh, the other possibility is if if there is a heaven or hell you're supposed to go to, uh, maybe sometimes there's a glitch. Maybe in, in some cases 
um, something does not work with the process and somebody gets stuck behind. And, and maybe in some cases that could be regarded as a personal hell or purgatory for that, you know, surviving uh, human consciousness. When we bring religion and the possibility of religious ideas being part of what we're talking about here tonight, you can't help but talk about demonic activity. And also, when you're talking about poltergeist activity, uh, there are some commonalities between some of the things you described as poltergeist activity and some of the things that have been described as demonic activity. What are your thoughts about demonic activity? How does it relate to poltergeists? And, um, well, I mean, I guess the first question is, do you think it exists? Um, I'm, uh, I'm open to the possibility. Uh, I was uh, raised, uh, in the Christian faith. I believe in God. I believe in the devil. Um, if you believe, uh, as a Christian, if you believe in angels, uh, then, uh, you can't get away with not believing in demons theologically because, uh, demons are, are angels, fallen angels. Um, uh, I've never encountered uh, any situation that I thought was evil or negative. I have worked cases where people have been shoved, people have been scratched, uh, people have been scared out of their mind. Uh, but that, to me, is not a reason to uh, jump to the conclusion, oh, my goodness, we have a demon in the house. So I, I, I know a lot of uh, uh, investigators, uh, especially on the TV shows these days do jump to that uh, immediately. <laughs> All the time, yeah. Uh, I, see, I, I see no reason to uh, uh, ascribe that type of things uh, to a, you know, a, a demon or a, you know, if, if, uh, Muslims might call it a jinn. Uh, human beings, uh, when they're alive, are quite capable of doing very evil things. Oh, yeah. Human beings, when they're alive, uh, hurt people, uh, try to and uh, succeed in killing people, uh, do things to torment people. Uh, if, uh, if a ghost is a, a dead human being, uh, why would we not assume that their, their mindset and attitude you know, would be the same as they were when they were living? If, if Charles Manson uh, came back as a ghost, uh, and it's still Charles Manson, just without a body, uh, he may do some very nasty, evil things. Uh, you know, my, my background as, as, as uh, in law enforcement, I have dealt with very, very evil human beings who are definitely human beings and right. not demons. Right. So I, I, don't, I don't see a need to jump to that, even when very uh, nasty or assaultive things happen. Uh, however, uh, theologically, uh, I will not, you know, I can't say I, I'll rule that out. Uh, I, I will say that if I ever came across something that I thought, hey, this really seems to me to be something, you know, approaching theological, you know, approaching the demonic, uh, I don't know what that line of demarcation would be for me, but if I ever come across it, uh, personally, uh, I would step away from that case uh, and say that's more the domain of the clergy than yeah. it's the, the domain of the, uh, the ghost uh, investigator. 
We only have a couple minutes left with you, and um, sadly we didn't get to all the material that I wanted to, but I do want to um, ask you about these other theories or these other de- ideas that have surfaced, and I think you know, they may have been around for a while, but they're starting to gain some traction. The concept that you know what we interpret as ghost activity could actually be some type of interdimensional uh uh, slippage, uh, you know, maybe we're seeing cross dimensions or something, or even time slips. That, that uh, ghostly activity could have something to do with with uh, time travel or time slips. What are your thoughts on those two ideas? Uh, those those ideas have been around for a while. Uh, with the uh, uh, the interdimensional transgressions, uh, uh, John Keel uh, was a proponent of that. I believe uh, uh, Jacques Vallee, the ufologist. Uh, started leaning towards that as an explanation for some uh, UFO activity. Uh, more recently, uh, a researcher and author named uh, uh, Paul Eno uh, has uh, done a lot of work uh, where he uh, has found, uh, to, at least to his uh, mind, uh, strong indications that a lot of what we call poltergeist and hauntings are dimensional crossovers from some uh, other reality uh, some other uh, uh, dimension uh, where the there is some bleed over or crossover. Uh, I think it's a fascinating concept. Uh, there, it, there's no way to really test it, though. Uh, as, as certainly not as a lay ghost investigator. Uh, I don't know of how you know to uh, you know deal with that you know that hypothesis. Right. Um, uh, for for time slips, there have been uh, historically many recorded uh, cases which are described as time slips, where people will see and experience something uh, at a location, uh, then go back the next day, and that building or that street is is not there. Uh, however, what they saw represents something that was there twenty, fifty, a hundred years ago. Uh, Maybe you know there is some sort of time. Uh, assuming these cases are uh, are real uh, and not just being made up by the reporters, uh, maybe it is uh, some bleed over of different time uh, periods, uh, which would really be the same thing as these dimensional uh, 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 crossovers. Uh, time is a dimension. You know, maybe a, you know a person doesn't come through from another time or uh, go into another time, but maybe uh, at a physical location, you know, due to some, you know, environmental, you know, who knows, you know, the alignment of the planets, uh, you know, geomagnetic issues, uh, who knows, but maybe there is some bleed over from an alternate reality uh, or from our own past or own future. I'm I'm fascinated by the concept, Mm -hmm. uh, but that's all I can be is fascinated. I can't just, you can't really, uh, Explore that or investigate that, except from an armchair perspective, right. where you uh, you know you discuss it like we are and debate the possibilities. Um, let's take the final couple minutes we have here. Let's talk about the type of equipment you like to use when you actually go into the field and do an investigation. You know, specifically whether it's poltergeist or just a regular haunting type investigation. What type of uh, equipment do you prefer? My, my thoughts on this have, have uh, wavered over the years. Uh, initially, I was very big into the uh, the tech issues, and I would bring in uh, Geiger counters, magnetometers, motion detectors, 
I've used the thermal imaging cameras on several cases. I, I, I still have one. Uh, infrared uh, photography, uh, infrared digital photography. Uh, yeah, uh, whatever I can think of, bring in the whole, you know, uh, uh, everything you have in the kitchen sink, throw it all out there and, and see if anything sticks to the wall. Uh, because we don't really know what this phenomena really is, what the nature of it is. So we don't know what type of equipment we need to use. So I don't fault anybody for trying anything. Uh, however, uh, we've been investigating ghosts for hundreds of years using whatever the latest technology is at the time period. You know, whether it was, you know, a, a, a flashlight or uh, uh, putting uh, uh, baby powder on the floor of a haunted house in the 1800s to see if a ghost leaves footprints in it. Today, we're using SLS cameras and thermal imagers. Uh, but the fact is, we're not really getting any substantial results, uh, which qualifies as solid evidence. Uh, we've been using thermal imaging cameras every uh, ghost TV show. You see, they're using thermal imagers. Uh, I'm aware personally of two instances where something uh, really strange showed up on a thermal imaging camera. One was uh, Lloyd Auerbach back in the 1990s, uh, uh, captured an image of something. Uh, and uh, once uh, myself, also in the 90s, uh, for a fleeting moment, uh, an anomalous image showed up on the thermal camera, uh, then disappeared. Uh, but I'm not seeing a lot of uh, results uh, for the use of that expensive technology. Uh, even EMF meters, uh, uh, it was thought for a while that, hey, you know, uh, some folks have uh, pulled out a, a magnetometer uh, while uh, uh, somebody says they see a ghost nearby and the needle uh, fluctuates, you know, showing there's some sort of a fluctuation in the local EM fields. Uh, and we were all excited by that the first few times that was reported, and I've had it happen to me. However, I've had a hundred other times when uh, a psychic said, hey, there's a ghost right in this corner, and the needle doesn't do anything. So it's not, uh, we don't have anything which uh, reliably detects anything. There is no specter detector. Uh, I worked a case once where, again, I had a psychic saying, hey, there's a ghost in this corner. I had a Geiger counter. I put it in that location. The Geiger counter spiked. Uh, was indicating gamma, gamma ionizing radiation uh, to a degree where it could cause harm uh, to the people in the environment. That's oh, wow. I, I stepped back, uh, but it only happened that one time. It's never happened since. Uh, Dr. Bill Roll uh, had that same thing happen once on one poltergeist case, I believe, where uh, he detected uh, ionizing radiation on a, a Geiger counter device and wrote about it at the time, but I don't think that ever repeated. So these, these one-off successes with this equipment, uh, I still use the equipment uh, because I have it, and hey, you know, maybe it will work. Uh, some of the newer stuff, uh, the, uh, these SLS structured light system cameras, uh, which I'm personally, I'm skeptical of, but uh, people have them, use it, try everything. Nothing can hurt. Uh, what I mainly uh, rely on, though, is uh, cameras to record the physical location and to record the investigation, you know, still in audio uh, and uh, video, uh, and maybe something anomalous will show up while I'm recording. Uh, 
tape recorder, uh, which I use to record interviews with witnesses. And just maybe while I'm doing that, I'll record a sound or maybe an EVP will show up. Uh, my, my main uh, piece of equipment uh, these days that I really rely on is a pen and paper and uh, my mind to know what to look for, know what questions to ask, and to know what to write down. One or two sentences of advice for somebody who's new to this who might want to go out on their first investigation. Learn something about the phenomena, uh, investigative techniques, and the history uh, of the uh, psychical research field before you go out and do it yourself. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. People have been researching this stuff for hundreds of years, uh, applying science to it since 1882. Uh, I've come across so many investigators uh, who are out there uh, doing things, uh, coming up with what they think is their own hypothesis or their own theory when it's uh, that theory or hypothesis has been around for 150 years. Uh, there's not really anything new under the sun except for maybe the application of new technology. Right. So learn, read some books. Uh, go out and get a book. Uh, anything Lloyd Auerbach has written, anything William Roll has written, uh, there, there are many. Uh, do not learn what how to do this uh, by watching TV <laughs> shows. Uh, do some independent research. And then before you go out on your own to a place, uh, there are, there are thousands of uh, you know, amateur ghost hunting groups uh, out there. Uh, a lot of them, uh, I think, are lacking in, in uh, certain fundamental uh, scientific methodology skills and maybe lacking in, in, the, in the institutional knowledge we're, we're just talking about. But there are some good groups out there. There are some good investigators. Uh, do some research on the Internet. Find you know another group or somebody else to go out with. Uh, I don't recommend going out at you know three a.m. You know, to some place on your own. Uh, uh, if for no, if for no other reason that if something happens to you yeah. at three a.m. and you fall down a flight of stairs, yeah, and there's nobody else to call or, or go get help. Yeah. So you know having a partner is always a good idea. Yeah. Do um, some research. Know know what you're looking for. If you just go out into a uh, supposedly haunted location. And you don't know, uh, one, the history of what's been reported at that location. Have people had experiences there? Uh, what were those experiences? If, if, if people say they've heard sounds in a haunted castle, and that's all that's ever been reported, they've heard sounds and have never actually seen anything, it may be pointless to bring in thousands of dollars worth of video and camera equipment uh, it makes more sense to bring in audio recording equipment for something like that. So do the research, find out what the experiences are, uh, and then uh, read some books, find out how other investigators have approached similar cases. Great advice. Randy, um, thanks so much for being here tonight. I wish we had more time. I hope you'll agree to come back because there's a lot more we could talk about. Um, the topic not only fascinates me, but I know our audience really loves this particular topic, and you know your stuff. So it's a great combination. I hope you'll come back. 
Uh, absolutely. My pleasure, JV. And before I let you go, once again, give your website and anything else you'd like people to know about if uh, to follow you on social media or whatever it is. Uh, best way to reach me uh, through the website, uh, www.ghosthunteriwarp, that's I-W-A-R-P dot com. Uh, through that, uh, there are uh, links to my email address uh, to a, a voicemail number if you want to call and leave a message i'll get back to you uh and you can also link to my facebook page through that website beyond reality paranormal is hosted by jv johnson and produced by orion palmer and slick eddie edwards like us on facebook and subscribe to our youtube channel please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform click on the link in the description or on patreon at joha productions if you'd like to be a guest on beyond reality paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest contact our producer slick eddie edwards eddie is spelled with a y at slick eddie edwards at gmail.com